We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the Rotowire Football Podcast. It is uh, July 26th, Friday. I'm Scott Jensta, joined today again by Andrew Laird. Uh, this is the uh, this is the DFS version of the football podcast. So uh, during the season, we will be fully breaking down the slate for you, talking about games, talking about players, talking about injuries, all that kind of stuff. But in the preseason, uh, Andrew and I decided we're going to talk about uh, you know DFS in general, strategy, contest selection, uh, what money uh, what money you play, what types of games you play, that sort of stuff. Uh, so before we jump into that. Uh, Thanks to Yahoo Yahoo Fantasy Sports, they sponsored the podcast. Uh, before we jump into the uh, the details, Andrew, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's uh, I think uh, hopefully that we cover it over the next uh, few weeks. But I think there's a lot of stuff about DFS that people don't necessarily think about, and there's some things that will make that will have a pretty big uh, effect on an ROI. And so uh, hopefully we can get those out of the way now, so that when the season is underway, we can just talk about players and pricing. 
Absolutely. And, I, and I, it's funny because, you know, I obviously uh, I play a lot and I, I think I'm pretty good week by week at breaking down the slate and, you know, finding players stuff like that. But I think that contest selection, money management is something that, you know, I don't really uh, I don't really do perfectly at all anyway. So it, it'd be good to talk to you about. It. I know you're really good at this uh, kind of realm of DFS doing all the soccer work and all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, it's hard for me because as we talked about last time, I, was, I had like I had one big score in DFS a few years ago. And I think it it kind of taints a little bit how I, it, you know, it's hard for me to jump into the the three dollar double up and it's not that you know money <laughs> the level you play at is fine for what you do and it's really important to know that but when you win a bunch of money it kind of seeps in your mind like oh i gotta do that again whereas you know it's pretty dumb because you still have to play week to week to make money but i feel like it's kind of tamed a little bit how i play and i go a little bit too much for the big uh, you know gpp shot now that i i had one you know not a millionaire maker or anything like that but a pretty big score i think it, uh, it kind of affects how i play a little bit yeah, in football specifically, although you know there are opportunities in baseball and basketball, but like somebody like me coming from soccer, where generally if you win like the big GPP of the week, it's not like life changing money. Um, right. You know, obviously, can increase your bankroll. Hopefully, uh, the big problem we have in soccer is that just not many people are playing. So hopefully, if you win, you kind of keep playing and keep the money in the ecosystem. But for football, when you have such a big win, I can totally see that. Like. The idea, and we'll kind of get get into this a little later, but the idea is usually you can kind of grind out a little each week, each week, and, and right. you're hoping for that huge score. And then it's like, well, what do you do after that huge score? Do you really want to just keep grinding, like you said, those $3, $5 double ups, or do you just kind of keep going going big? And so um, it's a... It's a good problem to have, I think. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't want to give the problem back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> But I think it's important to know like what kind of DFS player you want to be, and that's something that each person needs to figure out. And some people, you know, putting in uh, you know a hundred bucks a week and trying for the millionaire maker or trying to win a hundred thousand dollars, you know, that's fun. And is kind of taking that shot is what makes it fun. Some people that uh, don't like to lose money, some people grinding out money is really important. I think it's uh, it's key that. Each individual person has to kind of set that for himself. There's no set way to play DFS. I think we hit on that last week. There's no there's no right way to play. Um, but uh, talk about a little bit uh, how you feel, how you kind of uh, advise people on you know someone jumping into DFS or trying to figure out exactly uh, how they should start playing. Yeah, so I mean, we everybody knows that like there are people who do this professionally. The number of people right. who do it is probably smaller than than people expect, uh, but. Obviously, if you're playing daily fantasy sports, you're generally doing it to win money. Uh, that's, you know, whether you do it professionally, whether you do it as kind of a side income, whether you do it just recreationally or you're just trying to hit that million dollars. Like we are not necessarily in this to lose money. Right. <laughs> a lot of people do lose money. And that's I mean, yep. that's generally part of it. But um, th the goal is to win money. And. Uh, subsequently, you need to figure out how seriously you want to take this. And like we said, like everybody's financial situation is different. Everybody's hobbies are different. Like some people look at this as a hobby and that's fine. And if you want to spend five to 20 bucks a week on your hobby, that's good. There are other people who spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on their hobbies. Uh, you know, if you, um, if you're somebody who likes to put like train sets together, like real model trains, like that's they're usually not getting money back from that, but you know, there's, there's hobbies like that. I collected baseball cards as a kid and figured I would retire when I was 25 because I had all these Frank Thomas rookie cards. And, um, how'd that, how'd that work out for you? Yeah, here I am here yep. living the life. Uh, so, <laughs> um, I, I'm in the same boat. The, the, the amount of 87 tops that are in my attic right now oh would, uh, would astound you. It's a great season though. I mean, it was, it was a it great was. set. I have the same set. That's the problem. I, we both have it and 
but plenty of people and have it's it. It's worth like eleven dollars. Oh man, uh, I'll have yeah, a store. You probably, you probably couldn't get the eleven dollars for it either. I was gonna say, yeah, you'd have to pay somebody twenty bucks to come get them, and then uh, they'll yeah. give you the eleven. I, to, my uh, wife has my wife has tried that multiple times. Actually, <laughs> we just moved. Uh, boy, we're really going off the rails early. I, we just moved, and I have like <laughs> trunks of baseball cards. My wife's like, these aren't really coming with us, right? And I was like, how are kids going to college? Of course they're coming with us. But anyway, um, so you got to figure out what you want to do. If you're, if you're willing to go in every week and say, I'm going to spend $100 to try to win a million, and you do that 17 weeks in a row, you're probably not going to win the million, but you might. Uh, but if you lose all your money every week and you're saying, you know, this is just what I, how I have fun, then so be it. Um, but there are other people who don't want to lose money every week. Um, and don't necessarily need to try to win a million dollars. Some people are trying to win enough just to play the next week. And so right. generally, uh, the idea is that you do a mix of uh, GPPs and cash games because uh, GPPs are much harder to win. They're basically harder to cash in. I mean, a lot of them now, you need to be in the top 20% just to get about one and a half, one, one and two third times return, uh, yep. which... Basically, not basically, which is by definition worse than a double up. Uh, and generally in double ups and 50-50s, certainly 50-50s, you only have to be in the top half. So like, why am I trying to now get in the top 20% to win less of a return than, than double ups? So uh, the idea is, you know, you have to go into these GPPs thinking you're going to finish in the top 1% uh, and you'll get paid because of that. But um Cash games are there to kind of supplement so that you're the idea is you can grow your cash games a little bit each week and then GPPs kind of probably take your your ROI, ROI graph down a little bit. But then uh, the head to heads and cash game and other cash games build it back up and then hopefully you get that one big hit in a GPP and that's kind of what propels you. Uh, and then if you're somebody who really uh, adheres to kind of strict bankroll management strategies that a lot of people use that may not be appropriate for everybody. But, you know, if you have more money in your in your bankroll, then theoretically you're playing a little more each week. And that's just kind of how you you continue to play DFS. But um, you have to recognize that if you're just playing cash games, it's going to take a very long time to kind of build that bankroll up because your upside is only, you know, basically 2x or, you know, some they have triple ups and quadruple ups, which are a little different. But right. essentially, if you're playing uh, head to heads and double ups, the most you're going to do is double your money uh, each week. And in a GPP, you're winning significantly more. And so, um, you know, getting that right mix is what will hopefully keep you going week in and week out. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that we talk about GPPs and cash games. It, it's not an either or proposition here. It's, it's right. something that you can play both of. And that's what I do. I am. Uh, I probably fall in the middle of kind of what we talk about. You know, I do want to make money, don't want to lose money. But I, I'll admit that I probably play a few too many uh, GPPs for uh, for what would be the ideal money management. Like I said, uh, I did have a big score once, so I'm kind of you know not to say I'm great or anything, but I'm playing I'm playing with house money level, which helps a little bit. I don't feel quite as bad uh, the last couple of years that mm -hmm. uh, you know I, a week I lose, I'm like oh you know I'm still I'm still doing pretty well. So I play a combo. I probably play a little bit too much GPP that I'm going to try and fix a little bit this year. I'm going to try and uh, be a little bit better with the money management. It, do you have a do you have a feel on you know what percentage you play in cash, what percentage GPP? Do you do that at all? And also on that note. Well, it's in my head. Are you a person that thinks that you should throw all your cash lineups in a small GPP just to make sure in case you hit big? You don't want to be the person <laughs> that finishes first in your double up and doesn't 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 hit big for it. Yeah, the um, 
football is kind of an interesting way in that. And I, I think we touched on a little bit last week that like a, a very, very good cash lineup tends to not do well in GPPs just because uh, good cash lineups tend to have higher ownership throughout. And in, in big football GPPs, like you need really low owned guys. And that's not to say you can't have a low owned guy in, in a cash game, but um, there are elements of risk that come to that where in a double up, it's not worth it. Basically, you're not getting an appropriate return based on how much risk you're taking with a guy who's, who's super low. But, um, I generally, like I said, I generally play cash games, but I, I definitely always drop it into a, in some GPP, doesn't matter which one it is. Um, because, uh, I don't play the Millie maker at all. Uh, I think I've played it once or twice, but like the, the strategies that go into the Millie maker are so different than how I generally play that it's almost like, not that I'm not, not that it's similar, but like it's, it's a totally different game. Uh, one that like, I just don't really love playing. Uh, maybe I'll change that opinion this year as I try to, to play a little more, but, um, as I, as I peer pressure you into it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, this is, how, <laughs> this is how it'll work. You, you'll get me yeah. to play more GPPs and I'll get you to play more cash games. And, um, Hopefully one of us hits. Uh, that, that's probably it's probably a really good combo. We probably end up at the right spot. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, that's yeah. that's our goal here. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't think there's necessarily a specific uh, percentage that you have to do every week. I mean, there are times where uh, the it makes more sense to actually play more GPPs just based on what they're offering. Like if you're somebody who really doesn't want to spend uh, twenty dollars on a GPP entry then you're kind of ignoring the Millie makers, but like sometimes they have it at $5 and it's like, well, maybe right. I'll, I'll play it this week. Um, generally those are the weeks that the people who play multi line, multiple lineups are playing even more if they can, because, uh, you know, it's less, uh, less to get in. So, uh, I, I generally think, uh, if you are looking to kind of maintain a bankroll, uh, throughout, uh, you should be like heavily cash gained, like, 80, 20, even like the, right. the swings of GPPs are, are drastic and they tend to be, uh, down. Like it's, even if you're min caching GPPs every week, uh, like I mentioned before, like if, if that's what you're doing every week, you're better off playing double ups because you're getting sure. more of a return and you're not having to beat as many people. Uh, so, um, in terms of like, just, yeah, man, maintaining a bankroll, the, the risk uh, the downside risk of cash games is lower uh, because, uh, and we'll, I think we'll get into that a little bit later, just in terms of the opponents that you're facing. But like, right. be- because GPPs are so hard to, to even cash in, I mean, when you really think about it, like you're, you're having to beat in, in football like thousands and thousands of entries just to turn your $5 into $8. Um, that if you're ju- just playing GPPs, you, you just have to understand that your ROI graph is probably going to be moving down most of the time. Uh, and then the idea is hopefully you get that one big spike up before you get to zero and don't want to play anymore. Yeah. And we talk about, you know, GP got to be in the top 20% of cash, but they're so heavily weighted towards the top yeah. that you really, you're really looking at you know, like the top half percent or something like that. It's uh, you know, especially like the millionaire maker, it, it, the, you know, it's called the millionaire maker because the, the, the top prize is a million dollars. It takes so much of the prize pool that sure. If you finish second or third, you're gonna do really well. But if you finish like 15th, you're really not scoring that much. Yeah. We, um, I, I have admittedly been, uh, kind of a, 
somebody who is publicly looking down on on GPP structures <laughs> like this. Um, but the uh, just like you said, they're, they're really top heavy, and uh, the soccer ones are obviously much smaller. So like the way that that I generally look at them, you're like, um, you know, they'll come out with a new another GPP, and it's like, oh, it's a thousand dollars to first, which in soccer you tend not to get that much. And then it's right. like a $70 to sixth. And yeah, yeah exactly. Like that's, cr- that's crazy. Uh, and it so, is. but you kind of have the same structures in football, except the numbers are just bigger. And so when you're looking at GPPs um, and, and DraftKings seems to be very adamant that, that the top prize is what people, what most people want, um, whether that's right or wrong is not a discussion we need to get into, but like, if you're looking and you say, wow, I can win $250,000 in this tournament. Uh, and, and that's enough for some people like, all right, I'm going to, I mean, you don't enter GPPs thinking like, I really hope to come in 375th. Like right. you obviously are, tr- are building a lineup that you think, or multiple lineups, one of which you think is going to win. Um, but if you look at what you're actually entering into and you think I, if I don't win, where do I have to finish in order to essentially make my money back? And if the answer is like first, second, third, or fourth, then your strategy changes about both whether you want to enter that GPP and how many times. Yeah, totally. And I want to I want to get into some uh, GPP talk a little bit more. But first, a note from our sponsor, Yahoo Fantasy Sports. It's a pitch of July, which means football season is around the corner. And Yahoo Fantasy introduced a new fantasy football game called Best Ball. that you get in the action now. With best ball, you draft your fantasy football team, and that's it. You don't need a thing once you draft your team. Each week, the top scoring players in each position on your roster will automatically count towards your weekly score. Forget about the timing commitment. There's no waiver wire, no trades, no adding or dropping players, no having to make those tough start or sit decisions. Focus on the best part about fantasy football, the draft. Tired of doing mock drafts for your fantasy football team and having the other players drop out early or not finish the draft? Free best ball leagues give you the most accurate ADP or average draft position of players before the season starts. Can't get enough fantasy football but don't want to manage those teams all season long? You can draft up to 50 best ball teams. Play for free or play for cash. But most importantly, get to drafting with Yahoo Fantasy Best Ball. Join the league today at yahoo.com slash best ball. So we kind of uh, started getting into a GPP contest selection. And, you know, we talk about GPPs kind of in general uh, guaranteed prize pool contest. But there are a ton of different GPPs. We talked about the Millionaire Maker. That's kind of the big DraftKings contest. But, you know, that contest has usually over 100,000 people in it. Uh, the the FanDuel one is usually a $25 entry. They call it the Sunday Million. That usually gets, uh, you know, I, the, the year that I did well in it was 75,000 people. And these are huge <laughs> contests. But uh, there's also there's there's three dollar GPPs there's five dollar GPPs there's single entry GPPs so let's kind of talk about you know we're early in the preseason there's no player news to talk about as much as uh you know training camp Twitter does zero for me oh. um it's just the worst like oh. I don't need to hear about I don't need to hear about a guy catching a five yard out that looked good in <laughs> training camp it drives me so it's it's worse than spring training Twitter which is really really bad but training camp Twitter takes it to a whole other level but on, on that side note but so let's talk about GPP contest selection and this is something that I kind of struggle with a little bit like. You know, do I jump in the $100 uh, GP or do I jump in the big $3? You know, that sounds so much cheaper. The top prize is the same, but there's so many more teams. You know, your chances, you know, go way, obviously way down. So um, how do you start to think about when you do play GPs? I know you're more of a cash game guy, but how do you start to think about which ones to play? Are you a single entry person? Are you multi-entry? Do you do multiple lineups when you do a GPP? Where, where do you kind of fall on that, that world? I have kind of a weird uh, opinion of different GPP sh- like um, options just because – 
I'm generally somebody who plays cash games and makes one lineup, and yet I tend to not play the single entry GPPs um, because, specifically in football, I, I mean, it happens in baseball and, and others, but like, uh, there are a lot of times where people are like, oh, single entry, and usually with cash games, some, you know, you make one lineup and that's kind of the optimal lineup that you have. But even those lineups tend not to do well in single entry GPPs. Like the, the risks that people take are still high enough where uh, just like dropping a cash lineup into a single entry uh, GPP tends not to work, work out just because um, it's almost like too optimal, as, as weird right. as that sounds. Um, so I generally play any sort of, you know, the $5, $10. DraftKings has a $9 one that actually has like a really flat payout structure that I tend to to play. So that's a, yeah, a, a, a great contest. I love that one. Yeah. Actually. So as a, a crusader of flat payouts, I tend to avoid the really <laughs> top heavy ones. Although I'll be honest uh, that it, it just seems very different to me when uh, I enter a contest. And even if it's the percentage is the same, but when you're, you can still win, you know, a thousand dollars for seventh, as opposed to the $70 I'm used to in soccer. Like I'm like, I would still take a thousand bucks. Like the, the top prize is life changing money. But like, after that, it's DFS changing money. You know, the bankroll changes a little differently. But oh, yeah. um, so I actually generally look at payout structures before I look at even the top prize. I mean, obviously, the the total GPP size is, it, is what grabs your attention. But like I'm looking at like entry fee and, you know, what is 10th place pay as opposed to first place and kind of where I can go from there. And at some point, it's like, am I better off just entering this into a cash game? Like, do I think the lineup I have, and since I tend to side on the optimal lineups, I, I play for floor instead of upside instead of ceiling. Uh, if I really don't think I'm, I can win with this lineup, and obviously I can make another lineup. It's nobody's stopping me from that. Um, but that's kind of why I end up just going towards cash games because uh, it's just easier for me to do that. But um, the the one thing I wanted to touch on, um, which I didn't drop in our notes here, uh, is. The this idea that um, the the mass multi entry guys have such an advantage, and you um, <clears throat> you uh, have a good point here in our notes, uh, which I'll say now. But uh, um, <laughs> people look at it and they're like, "Oh, this person won the whatever GPP, yeah, but he had 150 lineups, so he had every combination." It's like you you mathematically cannot do it. Like th- there's right. no way for somebody to accomplish all of the combinations needed. That you're like, oh, well, that's why he won, because he has every combination. And so um, <clears throat> when you when you look at these like tournaments where where it's a 150 max uh, and you're like, I'm, I can't compete with those guys because that guy has 150 entries and I only have one. Um, he's also putting up a lot more money, which is why the GPP is so much bigger. Like other, there's a reason the, that the 150 maxes are bigger than the single entry because they're just they're not enough players. So right. now we need certain people to to max out their entries to get the prize pool up but the thing that it's like an optics thing basically that uh we see somebody who made 150 lineups win a gpp and we're like oh it's because of that whereas if if it was single entry in the same situation and this person won with their single lineup and we're like oh that's good and and there were 149 other people with the the other lineups uh that like doesn't bother us as much like I, i I'm just somebody like I'm not bothered by somebody who happens to have 150 lineups win a GPP um, because like what is the difference if that person won with 150 or another person won with one like I didn't win 
<laughs> I, I'm in here to win it myself. And if I didn't win, right. like it, it doesn't matter to me. So, um, I'll get and, off that and, topic. Sorry. And I think what people forget too, is that that person that is 150, it, it, they, while they may win, they're entering a lot of bad lineups too. I mean, they're entering a lot of lineups that don't win. So they're putting up a lot of, a lot of risk also. And like you said, that builds up the entire, the pool of the GPP. So that's, uh, that's big there. Are you, if you do do a GPP, are you someone that enters just your one lineup? Or are you, do you play around with some cores and that kind of thing? Do you play a, you know, kind of a, you know, three or five lineups or you just, you just stick with your one? Uh, no, if I, if I start playing more GPPs, then I tend to, I mean, I probably never go more than like six, to be honest. And, okay. um, and depending on the GPP, uh, is, you know, it, that doesn't mean I'll take six and put them all in one GPP. I, I could spread it out, but there are some where you're better off having multiple entries into the single GPP. That's like, uh, different lineups, but in the same GPP, as opposed to like one lineup in this GPP, one lineup in that one, like there are different reasons to have those, but, um, you know, like you said, there's a core that you always have. And so at that point, then you're just, you know, change a defense, change your tight end. If you have two guys that are similar, um, you know, if you have a, a wide receiver, quarterback, wide receiver, tight end stack, maybe you change the stack a little bit by getting the other wide receiver or, um, you know, just change that where, and you keep your running backs. Like you don't necessarily want to say, uh, I'm going to enter six completely different lineups because, uh, I think that's a big mistake people make too. Yeah. I think that that's a, that you're just never going to, you're just never, you're just going to beat yourself over and over. Again. Exactly. Exactly. Like the, the odds are higher that you're, that none of them cash, um, right. uh, as opposed to all six of them. And so, and with these top heavy, like that doesn't necessarily mean you, you shouldn't diversify, but like, uh, there are some lineups where if you, um, if it's really top heavy and you're like, I'm going to try 10 lineups in this GPP to win it. Um, you want to have uh, as as spread of a base as like as more more players in your lineups because uh, you want to finish first. So you don't want to necessarily have two lineups that are very similar so that you finish ninth and tenth for a hundred and eighty dollars. Um, you want to have you're better off trying to get one that wins a hundred thousand and all the others get zero. I mean you, the the you you want you have to keep thinking of this idea that I'm going into this. And I want to finish first. Uh, but that $9 one uh, that we ran for us on DraftKings has a much flatter payout. So it actually does benefit you to finish sixth and seventh as opposed to first and, you know, 195th. So um, when you go into these GPPs and if you want to enter multiple lineups in a single GPP to win it, just understand that the payout structure should have an effect on the specific lineup construction that you use for each one. So if you're uh, say you're playing five lineups in a contest that's uh, let's go with the kind of the flat payout nine dollar version like uh, if they play in five contests and Saquon Barkley's your favorite play of the week you really think you like the matchup you like the price you think he's going to be popular but not uh, so prohibitively so that you don't want to play him like how many of your five lineups would you put him in like two three or you you're not playing five of five with him right uh, probably not but like if I if I think he's the best play that week and I'm in a GPP where like it doesn't hurt if I finish uh, seventh. 11th and 15th like i'll put them in four like it, okay uh, the obvious i mean obviously five and he's terrible you lose all of them uh but right. uh i think if you're really strongly opinionated on on one player like it's okay to go that heavy on him i mean th- again there you'll probably not see guys go 80 percent on 100 in 150 lineups but if you have of five course, right. like i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing but uh 
the opposite of that is if you're in a, a the top heavy GPP, uh, you you don't want four Barclays because you don't want four entries to be ruined. If he, right. I mean, obviously it's ruined in the other one too, but you're probably winning a little more um, based on the flatter payout. But if you need to finish first, second, or third, uh, then you're down to you know one or two Barclays as opposed to four or five. So in a top heavy GPP, since we're talking about it, I think you and I might differ a little bit here. Are you are you going to fully fully fade someone that you think is uh, is popular? I think that football, in my opinion, I think football is a little less with this. I think that sports like basketball and golf, you get guys that are 30, 40, 50 percent, and I think you, you guys become must fades. And I think we talked about it a little bit last week, like the the running back who's five thousand on on one of these sites that that you know falls in a role. Yeah, that's gonna be a guy that's gonna be super high percentage. But for me. You know, it feels like the top end quarterbacks, top end running backs, top end receivers, usually enough good ones that kind of get separated out. And I'm usually playing the one I like most, um, you know, at those levels without worrying about percentage too, too much. Yeah, I think as long as you go in knowing that if that if you're fading the highly owned guy and he explodes, like you're probably dead. Yes. That doesn't mean that the guy that you're taking instead can't also have a great game. Uh, But and and the difficulty is is that the guy that you're taking actually has to beat the other one. And so that's ultimately the problem that you come across with fading these guys. And and people are like, "Oh, I'm just people kind of misunderstand why people fade." And the the some of the thought is like, "Well, this guy's fading so he's fading Barkley today because he doesn't think he's going to do well." And it's like, right. no, 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 he's he's fading Barkley because everybody else is going to have him. And he knows somebody who, or he has somebody that he thinks might be better. And if nobody has that other guy, you, you're now leapfrogging all the Barkley owners. And so it's much more leverage than it is um, fading because you don't think he's a good play. Like I see I follow way too many people in DFS. <laughs> On Twitter, but it, but it is something like that. Never, like, never, never a good thing. Yeah, it, <laughs> some dark days sometimes. But yeah. it's, I mean, the, it's like I can't believe you didn't like so and so. And it's like, well, it's not that I didn't like him. It's just that I knew that everyone else was going to be on him. And right. a very important strategy in these big GPPs is being able to recognize a pivot from a guy who's going to be highly owned that could outperform. And if he outperforms. You gain so much more than the people who are playing the highly owned guy because everyone else has them. And so you're not you, you can't get ahead of somebody if you guys have the same player. Yeah, I just feel in football that those highly owned guys aren't quite as high as they are in other sports. And, and I'm I'm fully veering away from the, the, the cheap guy that everybody does have. And there are the weeks that does have that does happen. But I usually feel like uh, especially with quarterbacks, like I don't even worry about percentage for me in quarterbacks. And I know some people probably disagree with that. But uh, on a full slate, there are so many different quarterbacks that I never see anybody, you know, every once in a while. Yeah, but you rarely see to be over 15 percent, something like that. I mean, in, in, a, in a full slate week. We're talking 13 games. You know, you take out the three uh, primetime games. That's 26 quarterbacks. You probably throw 10 out right away because they're not good or you hate the matchup. And you're still looking at 15 guys. I think just I think percentages, at least at, the, at that position, spreads out so much that that's one spot, even a GPP, I don't really worry about percentage myself. Yeah, I think that's that's perfectly reasonable. And on the flip side, if you think there's a wide receiver who's going to be really highly owned— you might be better off not taking them anyway because there's so many wide receiver options. Like you have, there's so much more variable than quarterbacks are. Totally, totally. Yeah. And so, like generally, you'll see the running back. You know, if there's a highly owned running back, he's going to be higher owned than the highly owned wide receivers just because the the volume itself is there. Like you, there are plenty of 
um, wide receiver twos, even some threes that get ownership because they're reasonably they're reasonable plays. But like backup running backs, I mean, you, the only reason to take a backup running back is basically leverage. And even then it's kind of a questionable thing. Like you're probably better off just taking a different starter. Whereas, yeah, wide receiver, the pass distributions are, are broad enough in a lot of cases where you can get by with, you know, the, uh, the Adam Humphreys of the world. Um, whereas you don't necessarily <laughs> want to fade, you know, the, some sort of high price or highly owned running back. And even then, like the, there are enough running backs and generally the, the pricing, uh, for backup running backs is really where you see these like high owned situations, even in GPPs, like starter yeah. gets hurt on Wednesday and the price is already out. So they can't change them. But like rarely do those situations come up with a wide, with a wide receiver or tight end, like roles change, but like really, uh, going from a wide receiver two to wide receiver one, like, it's not like you're tripling the expected output. Whereas that actually does happen with running backs. Right. I mean, they're that you're going from a, possible five to six touches to like 20 and like that's when you want to take advantage of it but you have to realize that's when everybody is going to take advantage of it yeah i have a few more gbp questions for you but first a note from our sponsor super draft the future of daily fantasy sports has arrived experience super drafts exclusive game mode multiplier say goodbye to salary restrictions and hello to lineup freedom use your fantasy sports knowledge to draft any player you want and build your very own dream team Countless lineup possibilities let you experience daily fantasy sports the way you want to. Superdrafts offers contests for NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, and PGA so you can enjoy the best of DFS all year round. Sign up for Superdraft today using promo code ROTOWIRE and claim your free $5 in Supercash and a free $3 entry with your first deposit. Download in the App Store or play at Superdraft.io. That's Superdraft.io. Superdraft. No limits. More winning. So before we get to cash game talk, a couple more GPP things. And it's a it's a really key point you mentioned on the on the wide receivers and running backs. I mean, you take someone like I just using Saquon Barkley because he's the top pick in, in drafts and stuff, but he's going to touch the ball a certain time per game, no matter what. Whereas a, a wide receiver, you know, they may set up a play all day long that they're not going to get sixty yard touchdown on, and either the quarterback overthrows it or there's pass interference, and you've lost that one big play that was going to you know win your GPP for you. So it's just you know when I say wide receivers are more variable, that's kind of what I mean. There's so many different things that can happen on a pass play. Whereas you know that Saquon Barkley is going to touch the ball 22 times, going to get the ball in the red zone, going to have multiple chances to break one. It's just it, the, the the floor goes way up for a, a running back compared to a receiver. For sure. Um, maybe we need to start lobbying the DFS ICU's air yards instead of actual yards. Oh, I, I like it. Uh, yeah. Pat Mahomes for the win, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you kind of said it right there that like, you know, um, Barkley's going to touch the ball that many times. So like, uh, just think like if if Barkley gets hurt on Wednesday and prices were out Monday uh, and you're like, I think uh, Saquon Barkley at, um, you know, 8000 is great. And I'm like, how about uh, you get Paul Perkins now or whoever is going to be <laughs> back up for thirty three hundred, knowing that like Barkley's not going to play like you could say like, oh, he's not going to get as many touches as Barkley. But I'm like, but he's going to get a lot more touches than somebody who's priced at thirty five hundred should get. And so. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's that's really the difference. But um, and you can even I mean, game script obviously changes everything as well. And not that you can easily predict game script right away. But like if a team goes out big early, uh, you know, they let's say they get a special teams touchdown and then, you know, some food oh, plays. The just all, the worst. I yeah. hate those. And all of a sudden you have Saquon Barkley. And after the first quarter, the Giants are up 28 nothing. Like how much do you and he has nothing yet. 
Like they, it was a punt block. There was a fumble, uh, in, you know, whatever it was. And, uh, all of a sudden he has nothing. Giants, Giants fans love you right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I like to use these ridiculous hypotheticals that would never happen. So, um, But like, then you're kind of like out of luck at that point. And yep. now think of it if you had like Sterling Shepard. And it's like, how many passes is he going to get with the Giants of 28 nothing? Whereas like Barkley may, you know, now the Giants have to run the, run the game out. So now like Barkley's okay. Yeah. And that when we, when we talk, yeah, you know, game slates uh, during the season, we'll talk about game flow and game script a lot. And it's just one of those things in football that, you know, usually you can use that to your advantage, but they're just going to be games. Like you mentioned, there were a couple things happen where you're just going to kind of get buried. And there's not much you can do. And those are, those are frustrating weeks. And usually, you know, with some over under and kind of studying the game, you can kind of figure out where it's going. But, uh, obviously that's, uh, that becomes a huge variable too. Like you said, with the, you know, interception for a touchdown, suddenly 14, nothing and stuff changes really fast in the NFL games. Right. Right. And, and those are things that like greatly affect DFS from the defense special team standpoint that like you really yep. can't predict at all. Like um, we'll, we'll get to that uh, further down the road, but like that's one of those positions like you can do whatever you want pretty much. Like, yeah, not- I, I want to do a, I want to do a position kind of talk podcast, too. So I don't want to we will get to that in a pre- preseason at some point. Last question I want to ask you on GPPs. Um, do you actively search for that low percentage gem? Are you someone that like, you know, I'm going to need to have uh, a one percent guy. Do you like actively search for that guy? You think to me nobody's going to have that you kind of like like how active are you with, you know, trying to find that super, super low gem? Uh, I actually do it more on a game standpoint like what game do i think people are ignoring I, I love that i think that's really smart and then and then it's you go from there and we kind of mentioned it last week like if if you have the time uh try to read as much as you can because then if you see like specific games that everyone's talking about and then you look and you know usually it's the game with like with the lowest total or you know generally people are like well it has the lowest total so there's nothing going to happen in this game but like Things still happen. Like it's not yep. like there's nothing. And so you look at the, those games and you say, which one do I think people are ignoring, and and why? Like the the reason they could be ignoring it is because there are five other games that uh, that are that look great, and so this one's just kind of getting overlooked. Or you just have your own reasons of actually, I think the Jets are going to kill the Dolphins this week, and so now maybe Sam Darnold and and Robbie Anderson nice, is the right nice, step. Nice example. Yeah, like I said, I take the ridiculous ones. So that, <laughs> Um, but you know, you have to, I think that's the way to look at it. You you shouldn't be like, okay, let me just scroll down the list to the bottom of the wide receiver, uh, player pool. And like, which guy do I think might be it? Like start at the game. But I think, I think people do that. <sighs> um, don't do that. I think people do. I think people do go. I think people do go like I. I need a one percent player, and they look for the one percent player rather than like you said. You know, find a game. I like to look at kind of the middle ranges of over and find a game that you really like, and then find someone that in that game who you really like. And maybe if he's four percent, you know, you don't have to have the point five percent guy. You always see those guys that and then they win, and that's great. But um, you know, search for someone that you do like that might be low percentage rather than someone that's just low percentage. I think is kind of the point I'm making. Yeah, yeah, and and there are different ways to do that. I mean, you could always target that game that everybody is looking at, but you're taking the, th- the third or fourth wide out instead of the first. Right. Um, but generally, yeah, I, I think you're better off looking at it from a game by game standpoint of which, which of these lower games do I think uh, might go off? I mean, like uh, Matt Stafford's again in DFS Twitter, somebody I'm getting a <laughs> ton of uh, crap lately, but like he's somebody who can throw for 500 yards at any point. Like it just, it's, it's odd, but like sometimes you just get those like huge Matt Stafford games and that doesn't mean like you need to like Kenny Galladay go right to him. But like, 
Marvin Jones. I mean, they have Danny Amendola now. Like there, there are other guys um, that for for GPPs like that can go off, and like you only need them to go off once. You don't need them to have a great season. You don't need them to have a great three weeks. Like you just need them to have a great game today, and you get the benefit of taking of finding that guy that everybody else was overlooking because. You know, the Chiefs have a great matchup and the Rams have a great and all of these other teams that we know go off every week and they have good matchups. But like that doesn't mean that they're the only ones. Yeah. And that's a really good point on the, you know, don't have to have a great season. You know, that's the that's the mindset of, of season long versus DFS. You're just trying to hit this week. You just need Matt Stafford to be great this week. You don't need him to be, you know, better than the 18th best quarterback all year. It's just this week you're focusing on. Right, right. So let's jump into some cash game talk. We've talked a lot about GPPs. I know you're more of a cash game guy, so I'll probably lean on you a little bit here. But um, you know, the, the point with again, pushing point with cash game is you know there's there's a different there's different variations there too. And I think that uh, I probably need to explore this a little more. There's double ups, there's triple ups, there's quadruple ups, but there's also head to head. You know, you pick against you play against one person, whereas the most points wins that matchup. So talk to me a little bit about uh, cash games and how you decide which ones to play. Yeah. So. I, I generally just stick to head to heads and double ups. Like even I mean triple ups and quadruple ups I'll play if if I see the people who are in there. Um and if I think I can, you know, if I recognize them, then that's it. Which is kind of one of the first things you have to realize about cash games is like um for head to heads, uh you're going up against somebody else. Like it's it's one other person and you're both putting money in and one of you is walking away with that money. Plus the little sprinkle that DraftKings or FanDuel or Yahoo takes. Um, so the it, so that's easy enough. You only have to beat one person. I mean, we're talking about these GPPs where you have to beat thousands and thousands of people. Uh, in a head-to-head, they only you only have to beat one person. Uh, on the flip side, your opponent also only has to beat one person, and it's you. So um, you you have to realize that um, there are people who play head-to-heads that are very good. And there are people who are not very good. And it's if you are looking to win, it's in your best interest to play people who are not as good as you. And, and I know this sounds like very simple. Uh, and, and it is. But uh, when we you hear about people like, oh, um, you know, there's a bunch of fish there. We're looking for people who never play <laughs> like the the. A lot of people play this to win money and to win money, you have to win somebody else's money. You're not up against a house where you don't feel as bad taking money from MGM. (laughs) Uh, You're taking somebody else's money or they're taking yours. Uh, There goes the the MGM sponsorship. The sponsorship. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, (laughs) So I think that's kind of one of the important things you have to recognize like right away that the, the idea is you are playing, you want to play somebody who is worse than you who is not as good at building lineups as you are. Um, and they're going in. How, thinking, do you, how do you, how do you figure that out? Are there, yeah, I so, don't play a lot of head heads. Are there on DraftKings? Can you tell like how, what people's record is? Like how, so do, how do you know that you, it, you don't know unless you okay. play. And that, that's sort of the, the difficulty in getting into cash games right away is, I mean, in a sport, in a, the smaller sports, soccer, uh, probably even hockey, MMA, tennis, like the, the, the field of, uh, DFS cash game players is small enough where if you play regularly enough, you, you recognize names. And the, the tough thing is that, uh, there are plenty of people who are good at GPPs and are terrible at cash games. And so if you enter a lot of GPPs and you're like, Oh, I see this guy at the top all the time, it's possible. And, and you're like, I'll never play them in, in head to heads. 
it's possible they're terrible at, at cash games. I mean, generally they're not terrible, but like it's possible that they're they just don't recognize floors enough and they take too many risks and that you can take advantage of that. But um so generally what you want to do when you're starting out is you try to play as many people as possible. And that okay. doesn't mean like going out and spending thousands of dollars on this, but like if you're going if you're going to go out and say I'm going to play $20 worth of of cash games this week in a perfect world you find 20 different opponents because right. okay. it gives you um one it gives you the sort of a foundation now of seeing what different use how different users play in the uh, this guy is terrible and then if you see <laughs> them later on you can play them again uh, and then there, are, it gives you an idea of people who are very good and you don't want to play them. Uh, and DraftKings and gives you the opportunity to block up to 10 people. And we'll get into why that matters in a second. Um, Yahoo is unlimited. So like if there's somebody that you have played a few times and they keep beating you, there's a way to make it so that you don't play them anymore. Uh, FanDuel doesn't have that yet. Um, but uh, that lobby, that head to head lobby is a little wild west anyway um but anyway so uh, and the the difficulty is is that you can't figure out if somebody is good on right like right away um but the uh one of the nice things about it is you can go into your head-to-heads and see a lineup and if you look at somebody's lineup and say i have no idea how they got there like (laughs) that's probably somebody who you want to play because there's there's generally a, a kind of a range of players that are really considered in cash games every week. Like um, the, the, the Deshaun Jackson example that we used last week, like he is so rarely a cash play that if you're right. playing somebody in a head to head with Deshaun Jackson or, um, and a few other guys like that uh, there, those lineups tend to be too risky or, you know, they tend to be riskier, excuse me. Uh, and might be one that you want to play regularly. Um, and if there are other lineups where you're like, wow, this, you know, we made this whole lineup and we only have one, one player that's different. If, if you think you're good at cash games and ROI is kind of the way you figure that out, um, maybe that's somebody you don't want to play because it's, uh, it gives you, uh, you know, if you're going to just basically trade who wins every week, the only winner in that situation is the, the DFS site from the rake. <laughs> and so... Right. Uh, do you like, do you like keep track of, uh, yeah, yeah. who so, you beat and who you lose to? Like, how do you, how do you kind of track, uh, your, your wins and losses against people? Do you actually like keep a notebook or something? Like, I'm interested to know how you do that. Yeah. So, uh, there are a few sites that do it. Rotowire is one of them. Um, we have this DFS analyzer where, uh, you download your, um, your contest history from DraftKings or FanDuel, uh, or Yahoo, and you upload it to our site. And it'll tell you exactly what your ROI is in GPPs, in head-to-heads, in double-ups. And you can go into the head-to-head and you can see all of the people you've played and how you've done against them. And it breaks it down by number of entries and how much, how, how much you're putting in for each one. And that's kind of the way you see, am I doing this well? Like, it, it's, it's a, a very big thing that I think people ignore. Um, and I'm not going to call you out on it, but I will say those who happen to have a big GPP win may not even track to see if they're good. And, and there are a lot of people who uh, hit a huge GPP and um, it turns out that that makes them whole, that they've been losing all the time and now they make this. Right. And um, so tracking your results, I think, is super important because 
if you, after six weeks of playing head-to-heads or, or double-ups, and you have an ROI of negative 85%, either you need to stop playing or cash games, or you need to figure out like where you're making them, where you're getting beat. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of those, like, it can be an expensive lesson, but it's an important one because you need to recognize what you're good at. And really that's where you want to focus. And if building cash lineups is just not in your realm and you're, uh, you're very good at finding low owned guys and we moves you up into GPPs and you look and you say, wow, I've got a 40% ROI in GPPs, which is, is great. Usually requires a win, but, it, and if you're losing a lot of money in cash games, like, well, at least, you know, that, and now you're, instead of taking some of your money that you usually put every week in cash games, and maybe you play some more GPPs, but, um, the, so the, the point I wanted to say before about the, the 20 head to heads, um, so the, the opponent diversification is, is like kind of the, the phrase, like you want to play as many people, different people as possible. And that's why some of these double ups are, are fun because you look and they're like 5,000 people. And it's like, you only have to finish in the top half and you're, and that's great. Um, because in GPPs, I have to finish in the top 10% to double my money. Um, but if you, so it's possible that you finish, you have 5,000 person, 50, 50 top 2,500 win. And you finish 2501 and you lose. Um, I've done that. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody who plays regularly has had that one where you miss by, you know, a a rushing yard because of a kneel down or something stupid like that. Oh yeah. Um, The other thing is finishing 2,500th and first is the same. So like, there's really no reason to ever go into a double up thinking I need to win this. I need to come in first. Like there's no, you, you don't get paid for the risk. But anyway, so if you, let's say you enter, um, $21 double ups and you finish that last cashing right behind the last cashing spot in all of them. So you put in $20 and you come out with zero. Uh, if you would put those all into head to heads, it's possible that all of the people that you played in that double up were behind you in the double up. Right. And now you've beaten them all in the cash game. So you've lost, so in a, almost the exact same situation, but in one that you've won everything and the other you've won nothing. And obviously the situation come where the head to head, all the people finished ahead of you in the double up and in your head to heads and you lose that way. But there's, there's like a downside uh, risk the downside risk is actually smaller in head to heads because there are, there are some horrible, horrible people or horrible players in the DFS lobby that play head to heads. Like I will tell you this right now that they'll pick just the, the worst players, people who are out. Like there are plenty of people who play DFS recreationally where they will, they're like, Oh, the, I'll just play some head to heads and they do it on Friday night. And then all of a sudden it comes out Sunday that three of their guys are out and they don't go back and check. And like, that's, you win that you win. Like that's the perfect situation for you. (laughs) You want people to do that. But the idea, so you need to just realize that the more people you play gives you a a bigger pool of people that you can beat. And at least in terms of cash games and head to heads are the easiest one where there's just one person you have to beat. And it's possible that if, all of you enter all of the cash game, all of the uh, double ups and all of the head to heads. It's possible that you 
don't win any of your double ups, but you actually beat all of your head to heads and you come out ahead. So the last thing I want to, that's, that's a, a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about that way. The last thing I want to ask you about on double ups. Um, so I always see the double up lobby and there's, you know, the, the big $1 double up, big $5 double up, big $25 double up. Do you have a preference on, you know, if you're paying for, if you're paying for a hundred bucks, do you put it in one hundred dollar double up? Or are you paying five twenty dollars double ups? Is there any difference between those? Uh, no, I, I will diversify it out just because it's the same okay. where I'm now, it's the same concept. I, I'm increasing the number of people I'm playing. And so generally the, um, the higher, I mean, this shouldn't surprise anybody, but generally the higher dollar double ups have better players in them, like the sharper right. DFS players. Makes um, sense. So, I mean, in that situation, if I could do a hundred dollars in the $1 double ups, I would do that. Like the, the, the uh, the level itself doesn't really affect me. It's more the, where do I think I can win more often? Uh, and so if I think that at the $2 level, I can beat everybody like that, that's fine. Like the, the benefit on DraftKings is that the really high volume guys, and there are a decent number of them. Uh, so it's pretty much anybody who has played a million dollars in entries, um, which sounds like a ridiculous amount of money for some people. It does. <laughs> um, but there are plenty of people who do it. Uh, there are people who will play a million dollars in entries and still be down. And that doesn't mean they've lost a million dollars. It's just the of way that, yeah. that it works. But uh, they can't play in uh, cash games or GPPs. They can't play in any contest that's under $5. Right. Unless it has like a certain number of entries or whatever. So and I think Fan FanDuel has the same thing. I think they have, there's some sort of okay. entry limit yeah. there too. Yeah. Um, so... So in that respect, like theoretically, you if you are focusing on double ups and 50-50s and cash games that are one, two and three dollars, like you won't get the people who are playing the, the very high volume. So in, in theory, those are the those are the better players. And so you're avoiding them. And again, like you want to play against weaker people um, where, you know, if, if you're in a your home season long league and there's one guy every year who's better than everybody else. Like if you had the opportunity to never play him, you'd take that. <laughs> you would take right. the guy who, you know, gives up after week two. Like you would play if it was like, <laughs> you know, if your buddy Mark gives up after week three every year and leaves his team and I gave you the opportunity in week four to be like, you get to play Mark every week from now on, you'd take that. Of course. And so that's kind of the idea with, with DFS is, you, you know, obviously at some point, hopefully you get very good and you can beat more people and more people. But the idea as, you know, it rubs some people the wrong way, but like that's, this is what we're doing. The easier way to win is to play worse players. Your, uh, your cash game advice and talk is really valuable. It's actually really, really good. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Hopefully it helps. That was a, that's a compliment. It's supposed to be a good thing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just, you know, that's, there are certain ways. And like I said at the beginning, like we're going to try to do some podcasts here that make people think of things that they don't always think about. It, it's not all about like which players you're playing. Um, it's not all about how much you're playing. Like there's a, a lot that goes into it that uh, will affect your ROI. Like if, if you are somebody who never thought about contest selection at all, and now you're like, wait a minute. Maybe I will try to play these other games because they're, they should be softer. Your ROI should go up from that. And you're not really changing anything other than the people you're playing against as opposed to the contest or how much money you're putting in. 
And in a cash game situation, you mentioned, you know, just use a number, you know, twenty one dollar double ups or twenty one dollar head to heads. Are you playing the same lineup in all those? Yes. Yeah. OK, so I, I generally I mean, m- football's a little so that's different. Your, that's your cash game lineup for the week. Yeah. 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 So um, so that's the other thing. Like people will see like, oh, this guy is in every double up. And so he's like max entering the double ups or, you know, basically trying to like spread out exposure. But like most people tend to have like one. I mean, if if they're differentiating, it's a very small difference. One player, maybe two, maybe they change a defense just because. Um, But like generally, uh, people who play a lot of cash games have like a single optimal lineup and they'll play that everywhere, Um, which uh, is one of those things that like, that's why you want to play as many people as possible. Because if your lineup completely tanks, like you're in trouble in every GPP, but in cash games, they're there are probably people that will be worse if you do, you know, if you really put the time into this, like maybe your hundred dollars turns into $38, but it's better than turning into zero. And right. so you're 30, you still have 38 bucks to play with next week. That's a, no, that's a, that's really good. That's cash games are something that I'm pretty good with picking GBPs and kind of lineups there and players, but uh, cash game exposure and kind of mixing it around is a little bit something that I need to be better at. So that was uh, that's definitely a valuable, a valuable thing for everybody here. Yeah, I hope. I mean, it's again, it's one of those small things that I think people will uh, will be able. You know, if you if you really pay attention to it, you're going to realize that wait, wait, I'm winning more because yeah. I'm actually targeting people who I think I can beat. So I like to I like to end the podcast each week with a little bit of a shenanigans as we call it. Time to talk about get to know your host a little bit. But first, a final note from our other sponsor, uh, Fancy Draft. FancyDraft.com would like to bring you an important message about Rake. Are you tired of paying high fees to play Daily Fantasy? Did you know that over time, those fees, called Rake, can cost Daily Fantasy players over 30% of their bankroll? As Daily Fantasy fantasy sites continue to raise Rake, prize pools are being squeezed more and more, making it harder and harder for players like you to win. More Rake just means more money lining the pockets of big DFS sites and less money for players. But change is coming. Starting in July, Fantasy Draft is changing the game by bringing you Rake-free Daily Fantasy. That's right. Soon you'll be able to play your favorite contest without paying any Rake at all. On Fantasy Draft, 100% of entry fees will be paid out to contest winners 100% of the time. Playing your favorite contest rake-free on Fantasy Draft will save you hundreds or even thousands of dollars in rake each month. Rake-free daily fantasy is truly a game changer. Just imagine what playing on Fantasy Draft is going to do for your bankroll. Register at FantasyDraft.com today and be the first to know when rake, the rake-free revolution begins. Use promo code RWNFL to receive a free seven-day trial. So Andrew, last time uh, last time we talked about uh, TV shows, is kind of getting to know your host a little better. Uh, I want to flip it back to sports world a little bit uh, this time. Uh, I'd like to know uh, who your favorite teams are, who you root for, and then give me uh, give me maybe come a, a couple of the uh, the best live events you've ever seen and, and been to. Uh, kind of great uh, great sporting events you've been to. Uh, I grew up in downtown Manhattan, so I go full New York sports. Okay, uh, Yankees, Knicks. I'm actually a weird Yankees Ooh, Jets hurt. fan. Nick, Nick's hurt. Oof. Oh, it gets, I mean, Jets and Knicks together oh, is, yeah. yeah. Um, thank God for the Yankees. Uh, and I skipped school when the Rangers won the Stanley Cup back in, what was that, 94? And I don't think I've watched a hockey game since, but if the, <laughs> if the Rangers are ever good, I'll watch them. But uh, And I went to Villanova, and Villanova basketball is like my passion. Oh, um, that's awesome. I went to every game. I sat in the front row, like all four years I went to Villanova, and uh, my were they years, were they good when you were there? My four years at Villanova were the first four consecutive years that they did not make the NCAA tournament. <laughs> nice timing. Yeah, I saw um, plenty of NIT games. Um, 
Steve Lapis was the coach when I arrived, but Jay Wright took over my uh, junior year. And uh, obviously things have changed significantly since then. Um, the, the best sporting event, if you would ask me in five years ago what the best sporting event I had ever been to in person was, this is going around on Twitter, this is the, where we uh, got the idea to discuss this, was the um, Game 7 of the 2003 ALCS, the Aaron Boone home run. Oh, that's amazing. And um, my brother, my older brother at the time had season tickets. And I, I, I went to the old Yankee Stadium, I mean, possibly hundreds of times. Um, that game was insane. Um, just the, everything about it was insane. Um, and then Boone hits his home run. Um, I stayed out in the Bronx until like 4.30 in the morning. And um, <laughs> that's I, beautiful. I woke up, I went to bed. I woke up two hours later to go to work. Um, I sat down at my desk at work. Um, I dry heaved twice and I had to go home. <laughs> I was just like, I can't do it. Like I literally, I was sweating. Like it was the, um, <laughs> where I worked, I actually worked in, um, this town called Weehawken, which is across the river or across the Hudson river from Manhattan. I lived in Manhattan and I had to take a boat to work, like still drunk from like three hours earlier. And, uh, I just couldn't <laughs> do it. And I had to take the boat home. Uh, so somehow I like made it home without it. And then essentially slept the entire day. But that was by far the, the best experience I'd ever had. Um, I actually went the following year as well, uh, game seven, where the Red Sox won, and I left in the sixth right. inning. Um, I remember... Yeah, I that was, was Johnny, Johnny Damon Grand Slam of the first, right? It was done. I, I was uh, literally at a urinal when Damon hit that home run, and somebody <laughs> had a radio in the and was like playing it, and I heard it, and I was like, we're definitely going to leave this game early. And... Uh, <laughs> We lasted, lasted until about the sixth inning, I think. So that was the greatest moment I had ever seen in person until 2016 when um, I saw Villanova win a national championship uh, at the buzzer on like one of the most iconic shots in college basketball history. Um, the story of me being there uh, is a little odd. So like um, my wife's uncle does work with the NCAA okay. and... Um, he told me in like December before the tournament that he might need some help um, at the final four that year. He goes to the final four every year and they do this big convention. Uh, and he said, I might need you to come down um, if you, you know, if you're free. Uh, and I said, you know, I, I'm who knows, it, you know, it's in a few months, but yeah, keep me in mind. He said, I have somebody who normally does this for me. Um, I have, he said he might not be able to do it. I have a backup, but your plan C. I said, sure, whatever. Uh, A and B fall through. So in like February, um, he tells me he needs me to go to the final four this year. And Villanova wasn't really that great. Like they were far from like a favorite. They, I mean, they were good, but like there was no thought at all that they were going to be going to the final four. Um, so um, I, I get, he fl they fly me down there um, and the work that I'm doing with them not only do I get to fly down there for free, they, I got my, like a luxury hotel room for free, and I got tickets to all the games for free. Um, that's the two Final Four games and the national championship game. Now, this Beautiful. is my wife's uncle. My wife also went to Villanova and also loves college basketball, but <laughs> I'm the one down there, not right. her. Um, Beautiful. For reasons I probably shouldn't get into. <laughs> <laughs> but basically it was because I was a male. Well, what the work I was doing, it was because right. they needed a guy. Yeah. So 
<clears throat> all of a sudden, like Villanova goes on this run. And now I know I'm going to the final four. And now Villanova is going to the final four, which is like That's incredible. Awesome. Right. Um, so I, um, I am with this group of uh, other D1 players. They, they made this like, uh, it was an all-star team, but like for their work in the community. It was the, uh, so I'm basically their babysitter for the weekend. And they got to bring a guest, most brought like a parent. Um, but I'm essentially, so I go to these, the final four game where they absolutely annihilated Buddy Heald's Oklahoma team. Yep. And um, then I go to the national championship game. But I'm basically watching this game alone. Like none of these other people like care about Villanova. They know that right. I went, um, but none of them, you know, everybody's there because it's, oh, it's a fun. It's the final four and the national championship game. Are uh, you in a section where you're like allowed to cheer or anything? Are you good with that? I, yes, yes. Okay. Um, so it's not like a, not like a press box environment. Where you no, can't no, 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 no. Okay, yeah, good. No. Right. Uh, and I, I was wearing a Villanova shirt, uh, even though, right. you know, it was tend to be more uh, business casual for the, the rest of the trip. But anyway, right. um, but, I, but for my best friends, are also there. Two of them are Villanova season ticket holders. So they have like seats, like they're close. And, uh, but I am sitting up with these other. So one of the stupid things of the NCAA, um, we basically sat in the upper deck because the seats closer to the court, which they used to give these players were too expensive. And it was like an impermissible in uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Whatever it was impermissible benefit. I know what you mean. Yeah. Which is like, in, like, come on, like you, you cannot give these kids ticket, good seats for the final four because we're like spoiling them apparently. But anyway, right. Um, so I'm watching this game by myself. Um, and Chris Jenkins, so, uh, Jenkins hits the shot and I'm like going absolutely bananas. And I'm like <laughs> looking around to like hug somebody or high five, like, cause, right. but like nobody's as excited as I am. <laughs> like they're just like, wow. You know, everybody's like, that was an incredible shot. And everybody's like, I can't believe I was here for this. And I'm like, no, no, no. I can't believe I'm here. Like I I'm wearing a Villanova shirt. This, right. I, this is where I went. Um, so the, for how horrible they were when I was there, the highlight of my four years there is that, uh, there was a guard there named Gary Buchanan who set the consecutive made free throw record. All right. That was literally the high point. Um, other than, <laughs> excuse me, we beat, uh, 16th ranked UCLA at home and we rushed the court and to think like, oh, that's beautiful. Right. And, and now to think like where Villanova basketball is now is very different, but that was another night where I stayed out until four 30 in the morning and then had to leave at 6 AM to get back to where I was. But, um, how, how much did your heart drop when the, the North Carolina guy hit that double when Pete, yeah. three pointer? <clears throat> I actually like yelled out loud as the ball was in the air that it was good. Uh, uh, and then such, it went in. It's an I was unreal just, shot. It was yeah. just uh, like the I was behind the basket. Uh, I was behind the Villanova basket. So like I, I had a, like a perfect view of Page's shot. Like it, as soon as it left his hand, like you, it, it was heading right for the basket. And I was like, that's good. And then it went in. Everybody goes crazy. I mean, it was, that should be one of the greatest shots ever. And really should. Yeah. People don't even and think no, about it. Yeah. Nobody thank ever God. remembers that shot. Yeah, it was a crazy yeah. shot. It was just and it just totally gone. Yeah. And uh Thank God nobody really remembers it because of Jenkins is ridiculous. But like the, I, I don't think I've ever even seen a buzzer beater like in person, let alone like one that uh, not only won a national championship, but like won a national championship for like the team that I am the most passionate about um, that I it like I like struggle to go to sporting events now because I'm just like, oh, this is a regular season game against Syracuse. Great. 
what could possibly happen here that's better than what I've already seen. Yeah, that's uh, you, you can't really beat your favorite team winning in a moment like that. Being a right. that's a pretty that's that's a pretty damn good one. Yeah, like well, I mean, they I didn't go two years later, but I had friends that did, and they were like, obviously it was awesome, but they were like, you know, it wasn't as great. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, and, you're you're, and it was their their first one in 31 yeah. years or whatever it was since, yeah, yeah. The, since the, the team that beat Georgetown. So that's right. yeah, that's that's a special one. Right, I was three when they beat Georgetown, so it's like I, I, Villanova wasn't even a thought in my mind back then, and so. Um, yeah, it, it was absolutely incredible. Sorry, that was a very long story. I feel like I totally no. That's a that's a re- to that's you. a really good story though. It's worth uh, worth the length for sure. Uh, yeah. How about you? Uh, I've never. I'm a, I'm strictly a Bay Area fan. I grew up in the Bay Area, so I'm uh, I'm Warriors A's. I'm not a Giants fan. I'm an A's fan. I grew up. My parents were A's fans, which kind of like latched onto that. Forty mm-hmm. ers fan. The the people always ask me about the Raiders, but the Raiders weren't even really around when I was growing up. They were in L.A. In LA so. Yeah. Uh, uh, 49ers fan, Stanford fan. I grew up near Stanford, but uh, I've never actually seen my any of my teams win a championship in person. Now, you know, the Warriors obviously were terrible for the first, you know, 38 years of my <laughs> right, life, yeah. and then uh, then everybody's like, "Oh, I can't be a Warriors fan. It's so easy." I'm like, "Dude, they sucked for a long time, okay. so I don't feel bad about this run." I went to the finals uh, this year and they lost. I, I have a pretty good record of going to big <laughs> games. My team, my team loses. Oh no! <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've been to. Uh, uh, like the the year the Warriors won seventy three games, I went to like three games. They were one and two, oh, which no. is like almost mathematically impossible. Yeah, that seriously, they, that they that they lost two of the of the nine games when I happened to be there. But um, yeah, I've been to a lot of games. I travel a lot, and when I, I travel, I usually try and sneak in a game. I've been to like thirty nine baseball stadiums. You know, wow. ones that uh, ones that aren't around. There's six six current ones I haven't been to, but I have like eleven that I have. Uh, that are that are now gone. They keep replacing them. Uh, awesome. I've been to Lambo. I've been to Lambo. I've been to a lot of kind of the, the famous stadiums. So a lot of really great experiences. I was at Game Seven of the uh, the Lakers Blazers series when the Lakers were down sixteen and came back and won, which is an awesome. Moment. I was not a Lakers fan, but as as someone who loves basketball, that was a, that was a great moment. Uh, is that the one so with the of, uh, Kobe to Shaq? Yeah, like, that, I've never heard an arena louder than that Kobe to Shaq dunk. Yeah. I mean, it was just that game was over. They, the Blazers were so much better for three quarters and changed. They stopped going away from Rasheed Wallace. That the, I could go on about that game. <laughs> yeah, the, the the Kobe to Shaq dunk was like the loudest like I've heard an arena. And I've been at games in Oracle that are really really loud, but that moment in Staples was was really huge. That's and I've cool. been to like four All Star games, been to a World Series game, a bunch of stuff. But my favorite actually live event was the last game. At Candlestick Park for the 49ers, I went with my wife, and she's been to she's been to the first NFL game she ever went to. She went to Lambeau, which is the, so wow. we went to a game, went to a wedding. We were there, so we're like, I'm like, this is not how normal NFL like this is the, like the greatest place you'll go to. So <laughs> she's a little spoiled in that regard. The second NFL game she's ever been to was the Niners last game at Candlestick, and it's a big game, you know, last game there. And I obviously I grew up there, so I have a lot of really good memories there. So a, a crappy building, but one that you know kind of special to me. Same like the A's with the Coliseum terrible building but so many good memories that you know i worked there for a while so it's a it's a i have it's a special place for me even though it's bad but uh last game at candlestick you know Niners are playing for a playoff spot if they win they clinched it and they're leading the leading the falcons the whole game you know it's kind of a, a good game but you know nothing's really going on and uh they're up 10 late and we're like oh this is gonna be great they're gonna win they're gonna do fireworks dwight clark was there they did the catch in the end zone at halftime wow. all that kind of stuff um but uh, all of a sudden, the, the Falcons score. And you're like, all right, we're still fine. Onside kick goes through Navarro Bowman's legs, and, mm-hmm. and the Falcons recover it. All of a sudden, you've gone from like, this is an easy game to now, if the Falcons score, they win this game. And all the momentum going, they drive down, get to like the 18-yard line. Uh, Ryan throws a pass, it gets tipped, and Bowman intercepts it and runs back 90 yards for a touchdown. Like that, like 15 seconds of him running back was like the most crazy I've ever been in a <laughs> game. Like I'm jumping on my wife's shoulders, yelling at her and screaming. Everybody's just going totally nuts because it's that moment like 
I can't believe they're going to actually lose this game. This sucks. We paid for these tickets. We have good seats. And they're losing. All of a sudden, they won. So not like a championship, but getting in the playoffs, closing down a building was a really fun moment. As a lifelong Niners fan who was a little too young to like go to those playoff games when they were really, really good you yeah. know, in high school. Uh, the kind of last the last year they won the Steve Young year, I was able to go to a couple of those playoff games, which was really fun. But, you know, I wasn't uh, it was a little young to I, I watched all the Montana stuff, but a little young to actually go and, and enjoy it in person. So um, I love those years and they were fun. But uh, it's just, you know, when you're 13, 14, you're not really fully experiencing the game live. So that was kind of my it's probably my my most fun in person moment. Got to share it with my wife, too. And she, you know, she was like, this is crazy. This is like. NFL games are supposed to be, and I can't take her again because that's the last one she went to, and I think she's she's spoiled rotten now. <laughs> that's so, what happens, but, man. Yeah, it, it totally does, and uh, you know I'm uh, I'm spoiled by going to games at Oracle. Even when the Warriors were bad, those games were really fun. I grew up with you know Mullen and Richmond and Hardaway, and those games were so good. But you know, still the kind of thing where you go, oh, they're playing the Bulls. You go to watch Jordan play. You watch yeah. other people play. So it's uh, it's been a fun run of Warriors. Uh, Warriors dumb. Finally, you know, I've had a, the A's have not won anything in a long time, but a lot of good games at the Coliseum. But uh, the Niners' last game at Candlestick, uh, one of those things that uh, you, you can't really script it much better. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds fun. Cool. Well, thanks to everybody for listening to the Rotowire uh, NFL podcast, the DFS version. We'll be back at you every Friday. Uh, like I said earlier, we will get into players and breaking down slates kind of as the season gets closer. And uh, obviously during the season, we'll do uh, we'll do the full slate every week. But uh, hopefully the the general DFS talk uh, really helps. I know listening to Andrew talk about cash games and kind of how to play GPU cash games helps me a lot, too. So hopefully it helps you, too. Other than that, we thank our sponsor, Yahoo uh, Fantasy Sports. And we'll be back at you next week. Take care.